I mean, it's, it's a bit of a cliche, right? But if you don't have competitors, you're probably not in a particularly interesting space. Um, you know, there is, it was clear to us when we founded the company, the scope of the change that we are building around, the size of the market that we were building towards. And whenever you do that, there's going to be other smart people in the world that see similar things to you. And uh, having some competitive pressure just amps up the innovation, it amps up your sharpness, it amps up your execution. So I think it's a really good thing and ultimately makes the experience from the customer better as well. Hello and welcome to the Riding Unicorns podcast. This is the podcast all about growth startups. I'm James Pringle. I'm a technology entrepreneur, investor, and VC at Portfolio Ventures. My co-host is Hector Mason. Hector is a partner at B2B Investor Episode 1 Ventures. This podcast is all about uncovering what it takes to build a unicorn business. We speak to some of the best founders and investors, many from unicorn companies, and ask them about their journey, operational insight, tips, lessons, stories, and anything that can help uncover what it takes to build a high-growth business. This week's episode is with Matthew Wilson, co-CEO and co-founder at Omnipresent. Omnipresent make it fast and easy to hire and manage employees compliantly in more than 160 countries. They take care of all the complex administration involved, including payroll benefits, compliance and taxes, so you can focus on growing your business. They've raised over $130 million from top funds such as Playfair Capital, Kinevic, TrueSight Ventures, Tencent, and of course, our friends at Episode 1 Ventures. In this episode, we cover planning for scale, pricing, an average day in the life of a Series B Plus founder, and much more. Let's get started. Hi, Matt. Welcome to the Riding Unicorns podcast. Uh, great to be here. Thanks, James. Thanks, Hector. It's our pleasure. So, Matt, maybe we could just start by getting an explanation of what omnipresent is in your own words for anyone that doesn't know. So, you know, what we've seen proven out over the last uh, over the last few years is something that seems like really, really obvious in hindsight, right? If you're building a team, then the best people for that team aren't miraculously all within an hour's drive or tube ride or train ride of each other. They're probably not even based in the same city or the same country or maybe even the same continent. And Ambitious companies have realized this and have realized they can get huge benefits from hiring great people from all over the world. They can get better talent, they can build more diverse teams and get close to their customers, they can open up new markets. But as these companies have, have realized this and have tried to do it, they run into huge challenges. They find somebody great who's in Lagos, somebody great who's in Singapore, somebody great who's in Dublin. But it turns out they've got no idea about payroll and tax in Nigeria, about employment law in Singapore or about how to manage and run payroll in Ireland. And even if they did, they don't have the legal infrastructure needed to set up those employees to employ them and to pay them. That's where we come in, omnipresent. Uh, we enable ambitious companies to onboard, manage and retain the best people from all over the world. We handle legal payroll benefits and empower our clients, their HR teams with this combination of smart technology an incredible human expertise and human support to build global teams, to expand their talent pool and build fantastic businesses. Yeah, amazing. And Matt, you, I mean, you founded the company pre-COVID, so sort of stroke of genius or foresight or whatever you want to call it. But what was it actually like when that first lockdown happened and you realised that 
this trend that you've seen probably happening already was suddenly accelerated in a way that probably nothing like that has ever happened to any founder building a company in a market before where it's changed so quickly. It's easy to look back and say, you know, on the day the lockdown happened, it became, it was obvious straight away what was going to happen. I think we weren't, we weren't sure whether we were going to be there for a week or whether we we're going to be there for a year. And if you remember what was happening, I mean, we think there's been this big kind of explosion of venture capital and of technology companies over the last, uh, you know, the year kind of following COVID. But actually, the first few weeks, there was a huge drop off in the stock market. There was huge uncertainty about what would happen. And there was certainly not a bullish attitude towards technology for those first few weeks. As the dust settled, and we realized that it would be a more extended thing, then it started to become apparent what the impact would be for the company. We just found the business in November. And what we realized was, while this change that we thought was going to happen over the next five to 10 years, it's happening right now. And if we don't move fast, then we're going to have customers coming to us and we're not going to be able to help them. And so what that meant for us was we need to get into gear. We need to move a lot faster. We really put in place a, a leadership team and a decision to put in place a, a leadership team because we knew that we were going to have to scale quickly. So the first or second hire in each role in the business was an experienced leader, not just a, not a junior IC. And then we, we, we ran full steam at make, getting that product in market, making sure the quality was good and then taking it to market. So yeah, I said, we planned to be in 20 countries. We ended up ripping that target up and setting ourselves a target of 80 countries. And we ended up launching in 120. So it was a pretty incredible kind of second half of 2020 once we realized what was going on. But I want to talk about the the space because, I mean, lots of founders would be cautious around joining this space now, right? You know, founders are cautious to start joining spaces where there's a huge amount of competition, huge amount of money flowing into it. Did you have any idea that this was going to be a really competitive space? And like, how much of a concern is that for you now? I mean, it's, it's a bit of a cliche, right? But if you don't have competitors, you're probably not in a particularly interesting space. Um, you know, there is, I think it was clear to us when we founded the company, the scope of the change that we are building around, the size of the market that we were building towards. And that was clear to us pre-COVID. It was clear to us when we founded the company. We intentionally went out looking to build a business in a space with huge potential to build something really special. And whenever you do that, there's going to be other smart people in the world that, that, that see similar things to you. So it wasn't a surprise that there were competitors in the space. I think when we founded the business, we didn't anticipate the speed at which we would grow or which the overall space would grow because the behavioral changes, the behavior changes happen faster than we thought it would. And COVID has been a trigger for, for that acceleration. So I viewed it as, as, as validation. It sharpens your execution. 100%. I mean, if you're in a space and you're going out and you're selling and having to deliver a service and there are alternatives out there, then 100%, you need to make sure that you've got a fantastic product. You need to make sure that you deliver really excellently. And for us, that's the most important thing is uh, our customers being our strongest advocates, making sure that they get a fantastic experience and they tell other people about it. And, and ultimately, it, it, it drives you to, in, to innovate. You know, we've got a, a great product. We've been helping lots and lots of companies with their, their growth. But we know that actually the business we want to build is bigger than that first product. And uh, having some competitive pressure just amps up the 
innovation, it amps up your sharpness, it amps up your execution. So I think it's a really good thing and ultimately makes the experience from the customer better as well. Yeah, I think that's a good attitude, good way to look at competition for sure. And you mentioned earlier something really practical about how you put in leaders into the department so that you were prepared for that kind of growth. What other practical things did you do that you think helped you set you up for kind of hyper growth? I think, you know, the other thing that has been so beneficial has been embracing what we're all about. You know, we help companies succeed by hiring the best people all over the world. We're we're our, our, our first and best customer. And our 400 people, we're spread over more than 50 countries. And that has been just an absolutely huge asset to us as we've tried to grow at pace and tried to keep the talent bar really high, make sure that every person that joins the team is as good as the, as the group that we had at the start. By being able to tap into this global talent pool, it's completely transformed our ability to do that. If we were just hiring in London, it would be really, really difficult. I think it would have been impossible to grow at the pace we have while hiring fantastic people. Yeah, I think it's fascinating. It's, it's actually great for us because we've had lots of unicorn founders on the podcast, but we haven't had that many there's only a handful of um, even unicorn founders who've experienced this level of hyper growth in such a short space of time i mean and so i'm just interested to hear a bit about those growing pains you know if there's anything that you haven't already mentioned and what are a couple of things that you'd do differently perhaps i think the thing that's been hardest is the way that you manage a team that you communicate as a team the way that teams work together when you're 10 people is very, very different than when you're 50 people, very, very different than when you're 100 people, very different than when you're 200 people, very different when you're 400 people. And most companies that grow at a fast but reasonable pace, you have time between each of those different levels of of scale to settle into a routine. So you'll try, okay, um, we've we've got to 10 people, we need to now change how we do our all-hands uh, meetings. We're going to once a week. We're going to have a meeting with ten people and come in and do this. Okay, it doesn't quite work. Okay, let's iterate that. Let's, let's tweak that. And uh, and you and then you do a few iterations and you get to a place. Maybe three months after you were ten people, uh, you maybe twelve people now, and um, it still works. And you found something that works, and you settle into a rhythm and a routine. But that's been an incredible challenge, an incredible thing to to have done and to be learning to do. And it's still stuff that we're juggling with now. But that spans pretty much all that you do. You know, what's the right leadership team that you need to have? What's the right way that you set goals and objectives as a company? How do you communicate that? How do you get people aligned? How do you ensure continuity of culture? How do you keep your talent bar high? How do you, you know, everything across the company changes as you scale. And we've just had, like, when you're scaling so fast, it's really hard to settle into rhythms and to find things that continually work because things are always slightly broken when you're doing things for the first time. So, Matt, you found product market fit quite early. But I wanted to ask about pricing strategy. How did you go about pricing? And has your pricing changed at all as you've grown? And what advice would you give other founders that maybe pre product market fit or post product market fit around? I mean, pricing is like complete dark arts. There's no good playbook for pricing. But, you know, early on, I think, you want people to pay you because you, you want people with some skin in the game and you want some validation that there is value that somebody's going to put up some, some cash to, to work with you. 
it doesn't really matter those first couple of customers how much that is. You're not proving out the business model at that point. You're proving out, is this a real problem that people are willing to stump up some money for? And then can we actually go and deliver on that? And then you, you learn so much from those first few customers that it's not about how much money they're going to pay you. It's about validating the concept. But, you know, hopefully, fairly quickly off, off the bat of that, you can move to a, to a place where, okay, we've got something. We know that there's a problem. We know multiple people have this problem. And we know that we've got some semblance of a solution to sell here. And really, I think you've got to do a bit of triangulation. You've got to look at what's going on in the market. Where do we sit versus other players in the market? If there are direct competitors or indirect competitors, there always are some other way that people are solving it. What's the fundamental value that's being provided here? You know, if you think about this from a real bottom-up perspective. And then you've got to think about what your business can support in terms of, have you got high support costs? Have you got, you know, a lot of fixed costs that you need to pay for? And what does your financing of your company look like? And how does that change over time? And really look at that on a multi-year time frame and triangulate in on something and then experiment from there. We, we, we made a very deliberate choice that we weren't going to be the cheapest provider out there. We wanted to be the best quality provider out there. And that meant that we would have costs that some other providers don't have because we want to make sure that our customers get the best support as they're going through really, really difficult times. That is a totally valid route to take. Another valid route to take would be to say, we want to be the cheapest provider or we want to be extremely premium, right? And so, so understanding the market position that you want to go for is really, really important. And then looking at it through the customer's lens about how they can evaluate you and being really honest about whether you stack up against the value that you're planning to provide. Very interesting. Yeah, it's um, definitely, definitely difficult. And there's, yeah, probably limited help that people can give you on that on that subject because every company is so different. But you, you mentioned it briefly that there are new areas that you guys would like to to go into. And, and just, you know, we love talking to founders about because often you get, you know, huge businesses built basically around one product, but then you have these huge, you know, multi-product businesses as well, and, and there's no right way. But where do you see the opportunity around Omnipresent? We set up the company not to deliver on this first product that we've built, but to make it easy for companies to become global first. And that is a big, big statement, right? We want to make it easy for companies of all stages and sizes to sell to companies all over the world and to build teams all over the world. And that brings just this insane amount of complexity and a lot of diversity in the problems that that encompasses. When we think about why we want to become a multi-product company, I really like to think about some analogies. The analogy I really like is thinking about one of my favorite products, which is AWS. AWS started with one product. They started with a product that allowed you to store objects in the cloud, Amazon S3. And this was a fantastic service when it came out, fantastic product when it came out. It made it easy for developers to integrate with and they could they could integrate this into the, into the applications that they were building. But actually what they did that was fantastic is they followed that up with another product that allowed you to do compute online, another product that allowed you to host databases online. And over time built up this suite of products that didn't just enable you to do one thing, but enabled you to do this completely new thing, which was to was to give all businesses or just a single developer access to the same level of IT infrastructure that enterprises had, and actually even better infrastructure than they had. And to be able to do that in a way that was really cost-effective. That's really the analogy that we think of when we think about, okay, right now we could do something fantastic for our customers. We can help them 
set up employees anywhere in the world and we can help employ those people, pay those people, give those people benefits. But actually that's only one of a whole swathe of problems that they have. And really what we want to provide to them is the infrastructure to build world-class multinational companies, even when they're five people or 10 people or 500 people, rather than when they're 200,000 people. And that isn't just solved by one product, that's solved by an integrated suite of products that work well together. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can see why episode one invested. (laughs) So Matt, maybe you could explain what an average day looks like for you now as a series B plus founder. Yeah, I'm sure it's very different to what it was at the beginning. Yeah, I mean, that's the other thing that's been different is as the company's changes scale, the the job that I've done and my co-founder does has changed every three months as well. And that's been a a really interesting personal development journey that that we're both still on. The average date at the moment, I mean, it varies. It varies depending on what's going on. I mean, if we're going through a fundraiser, it's quite different than we're not. I mean, we're not not at fundraising at the moment. I haven't been for a little while. Um, You know, an average day would be a couple of one-to-ones with some direct reports would be maybe going in and doing some deep dive sessions on a particular gnarly issue that's going on operationally or a particular interesting strategic issue, doing reviews of the state of the business, maybe could be a review from a finance perspective, could be a review from a marketing and sales perspective, and making sure that we've got good oversight in terms of what's going on and understanding of what's going on with the business. Lots of time spent recruiting. We've been growing and particularly hiring for senior leaders to come into the company. Such an important thing. And I think, you know, we obviously share around the recruitment responsibility across the whole company, but particularly for those senior roles, I spent a lot of time doing that. Getting involved with customer calls, whether they're existing customers, some new customers. Um, so really a whole kind of range of different things. I think it's one of the things I really love about the job is how varied it is. You go from one thing to the next every half an hour. As an extension to that, the job changes so much and people talk a lot about founders not scaling beyond a certain point and a, a founder of someone who's great at running and building a zero to 50 people company is very different from someone who can successfully lead a 500 to 5,000 perhaps person company. So how, how do you think about that? You've talked about loving building and you've talked a bit about your role today being you know, quite a lot of leading, but how, how do you craft a role that you really enjoy even as you scale beyond those early days yeah it's a great question i think um there's how do you craft a role that you enjoy and how do you how do you level yourself up to be able to do that role because um i certainly wouldn't have been able to do the job i do today three or four years ago so there's a lot of personal development and that's a continual journey and again that's one of the things you never catch up with if the company's growing so you're constantly feeling slightly out of your depth but for me and for Gunter, my, my co-founder, it was it was really clear when we came into the business, like right before we even started the business, when we were getting to know each other, how important it was to find a business partner, a co-founder, who was going to be complementary in the skills that they brought. And that would help both with ensuring that we had the coverage of skills and knowledge that we could effectively build the company, and particularly this company that requires a different mix of skills than other companies might do. It turns out that you know, the things I am good at are the things that I quite like doing. So, and the things that Gunter is good at are the things that he quite likes doing. So by building that, that team and, and bringing together those complementary skills, we also were able to focus the types of things that we worked on around the areas of the business that we love working on. So I, I love working with our sales and marketing teams. I love working on our product with our products and engineering teams. Those are the areas that I 
loved doing when we were small, I still love doing now, and I'm going to continue to love doing, hopefully, as, as we grow as well. And Gunter is more on the operational side of things, setting up all the legal side of things, dealing with our service delivery, dealing with our people stuff, dealing with the finance side of the business. And that has been a real key to ensuring that we're both working on the things that we're good at and also enjoying the job day to day. Do you feel like you're still building or do you now feel like you're leading? Because there's kind of a nuance, right? We, we're 100% building, right? I mean, it's uh, you, you, you do that through, sometimes you do that through writing code. Sometimes you do that through selling to a customer. Sometimes you do that through hiring great leaders and providing strategic direction. And, and, and all of those things are, are, are about building, right? I mean, that's that, that's certainly how I, I view it. And there's, there's certainly no question that we're, uh, we're still in a hardcore building mode at the moment. But we also get people onto the podcast to learn a bit more about them as people. I just want to ask you, what, what drives you? What motivates you? And, and are there times where you have to dig really deep to like get out of bed, have the difficult conversation, get the next thing going. Yeah. So what motivates me? I love being part of a team that is ambitious, motivated, is working on something really meaningful. I love what we enable for our customers and what we enable for our customers' people. We do something absolutely incredible, right? We do something that's quite boring. If you look at what we actually do, we're handling like legal contracts and taxes and health insurance plans set up and it's quite bureaucratic, it's quite boring. But then you'll talk to somebody who's at a company that we're working with, helping them set up people all around the world. And the ability to build incredible global teams, to build, to hire in fantastic people, you talk to the operators, you talk to the HR teams, the ability to do that without the overhead that they would expect that that comes with is just transformative to those businesses and to the, those people's jobs. That's so motivating to see when you're able to provide true value and just unlock this incredible, incredible thing for those companies. Equally, we see it on the employee side where we're empowering people to get access to opportunities they wouldn't be able to access otherwise. So maybe there's a software engineer in Ghana that can get a job for an incredible American company, or there's somebody who's working in Singapore for a fantastic French company and being able to provide people with and, and, and connect those companies and those people up so that people can have fantastic jobs while living where they want. It makes a real difference to their lives. And um, so Matt, we've absolutely loved having you on the show um, and we could go on for hours and hours and we would love to, but we can't. So yeah, thank you so much for coming on the show and you've had, you've given a huge amount of really actionable advice. And I think listeners, particularly those who are thinking of starting a company or uh, or going through those stages of growth will definitely take stuff away from today and actually be able to you know make changes in their company. So thank you very much for coming on. Before we part ways, we always like to play the dinner party guest game. Who are the three people who you would like to get around the table? That's a very difficult question. I think, first of all, there's got to be a good chef. And I can cook a little bit, but I think if it's a dream dinner party, I'm not going to be up to the billing. After closing our Series B, I took my parents out to restaurant Gordon Ramsay, and it was absolutely fantastic, a real, a real treat, a real special occasion. Um, so I think Gordon Ramsay, he's a, he's a good laugh and a, an incredible chef. So I think getting him involved would be good. And then I think I'm going to have my girlfriend. I think she'd be a very, very upset if I, uh, if I didn't invite her along to the, uh, to the meal. And the third person... 
who should it be? I gotta be, I gotta be a bit softy. I'm gonna say, I'm gonna bring my gran along for the meal. I know she would absolutely love it, and uh, I don't get to see enough of her being down in London. That's brilliant, amazing answers. But Matt, fantastic to have you on, and um, yeah, we'll we'll speak soon. Thanks so much, Hector. Thanks, James. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks, Matt. That's it for this week. Thanks very much for listening. To stay up to date with the latest episodes, please follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. We also have a newsletter called Reading Unicorns, which is another great way to get every episode direct to your inbox. Please tell your friends about it and engage with us on social media. And we'll see you on the next episode.